Jesus has come for you too. He's calling you too. You can stay here with your parents and guardians. Let's turn our attention now to God's word. God who calls us, Emmanuel, has something to say to us. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes... He would tell us all things. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, I didn't do a good job of communicating um, this, but um, today is the 500th, the Sunday of the 500th celebrate, 500th anniversary, sorry, of the Protestant Reformation. And so um, being a Protestant Reformed church, um, historically Protestant Reformed church, um, this is a day we celebrate that. And um, this Sunday I'm preaching, well, later this afternoon, I'm preaching down in Charleston, my hometown, at a PCA church down there to celebrate their 500th, our, sorry, 500th Reformation um, Day anniversary. Gosh, so much words. I can't get it together. I should have written it. Um, it's, it's too late to ask y'all to jump in the car and go down there, but if you would want to jump in the car and go to Charleston today for a six o'clock worship service in the beautiful city of Charleston, in the cultural mecca of the South, Charleston, <laughs> where I'm from, please, you're welcome. If you want more information, let me know. Um, we ain't old school, you know, church load up. The, the church uh, van or the bus and the choir goes and all of that. I know we're not old school. Y'all got things to do because um, y'all newfangled. But um, your pastor is preaching at a church in Charleston. Um, and um, I won't be there long. I've got to come back tonight. And um, I have to go to Atlanta tomorrow for a meeting of denominational leaders on the direction of our denomination. And I was asked to go because they realized after asking all these folk to be a part of the direction of the denomination, they didn't have any African-Americans. Like, whoa, I know we're only like 1% or less than 1%, but we a percentage that counts. <laughs> so uh, they gave me an invitation, late, but at least I got one. <laughs> and I had to pay my own way. Um, we say could have some affirmative action and pay for my ticket. Uh, that's not part of the sermon, so do not count this time against me. It's a lot of scripture. We kind of have a long one today, but hang in there. What's that show on Netflix? Um, the Unbreakable Kelly Schmidt. Is that? Do y'all ever see that? Uh, Kimmy, I like that dumb show. I don't know why. And, if, if you ever get tired during my sermon, and I have to, it's, they're sometimes long because I think about you, like Amari said, there's so many of you, I feel like I'm doing wrong, leaving some of you out in the application and the explanation, I'm trying to get all y'all, and it's a lot to get all of y'all into a sermon. I don't want nobody leaving, man, he don't care about us. You know, Jesus don't care, no, he does. Okay, so if you get left out, we just don't have um, an hour and a half to do you and everybody else. Be happy for somebody else for once. But where was I going with the Kelly Schmidt, Kimmy Schmidt thing? Is on Kimmy Schmidt, she said, um, if you can do anything for 10 seconds, you can do it forever. Just count 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You can do it. Then start again. 10, and then before long, you put all those 10 seconds together, and you've been sitting for 50 minutes listening to a sermon. Imagine that. Try that. Um... <laughs> You can do anything for 10 seconds. You can. Just keep going. All right. I don't know whether that show is godly, biblical, right? So I mentioned it. So please don't hold it against me. Don't like, it's family time. The pastor mentioned the show. Let's get popcorn. And then you watch it. And you're like, what has the pastor gotten us into? I'm sorry, y'all. All right. It was late. 
just wanted something not, anyway. So we continue in our sermon series, God's Reasons Why, and oh yeah, one more thing. See y'all at Newbie Mangle right after. If you're new here, please come to Newbie Mangle. Like Amari said, if you want to be in the in crowd, everybody who's anybody comes to the Newbie Mangle. Okay. Um, I, I'm sure that helps. Uh, if you're with the cool kids. We continue in our sermon series, God's Reasons Why, and this week we see Jesus speaking to a person at the well, but not just any person, right? A Samaritan woman at a well, but not, at, but not just a Samaritan woman at a well, but in an odd time of the day for getting water. And understand, when Jesus crossed over this gender, ethnic, denominational, and social line of his day by talking to this Samaritan woman, he made a new declaration about why God sent him and why he came. He came for people like you and me, who because of their brokenness and the world's oppression are tempted to hide the truth about themselves and believe lies about the Lord. Right? Two things here. Hide the truth about themselves and believe lies about our Lord. So the Bible tells us that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, but that he gets thirsty and stops at a well, a well-known, a well-known religiously historic watering hole called Jacob's Fountain. Now, what is curious about his stopping is that Jews would typically take the, you've seen it on your GPS, that gray line, the GPS four hours longer route and avoid going through the Samaritan ghetto. But it, if they had to make up the time, they would might pass through, but never, ever would they stop for a rest stop at one of the local gas stations, right? But Jesus, a good Jew, seemed ill-prepared for the acceptable Jewish journey, and he ran out of gas. Base, I mean, literally tired and thirsty, the Bible says. It makes sense, considering it was one of the hot, hottest parts of the day, and this was a desert kind of world. But, but what doesn't make sense and what is unexpected is that the Samaritan woman shows up by herself at that time of day, too. Jesus broke down there. But she purposely came during that time, and that tells us a lot about her before she even opens her mouth. Coming out of the middle of the day when no one else would be out there at the well in the heat or like folks go, who go shopping at 2.30 in the morning at the 24-hour Harris Teeter or Walmart. I've been there, right? They can be kind of weird. Outside of those who work the second and third shifts getting groceries, I'm not coming down on y'all. But maybe I used to think they got something to hide. No one ever says hello at 2.30 in the morning in Harris Theater. I've tried it. Try it. Most folks do a mumble, but don't look up. Maybe they're doing it because they're afraid at why you are at Harris Theater at 2.30 in the morning, all chipper enough to say hello. Maybe you have the problem and are weird hiding out, right? But, but, but it's clear. This woman hiding something and hiding from someone and doesn't want to bump into anyone. She doesn't want to be found out or known. And we learn why, don't, don't we? Jesus tells her why. When he tells her to go call her husband after the whole water exchange, and we'll get back to that, we found out she has had five husbands and the one she is with is not her husband. Now, Samaritans, like the Jews, we don't hear a lot about the Samaritan story, were extremely moral and religious people. 
It appears that the writer wants us to know what Jesus has perceived, that she is ashamed by her many marriages and her current situations in that society, and especially before a Jew whom the Samaritans would try to outdo morally and spiritually. But the point is, this woman, like many of us, believes and has been led or or has fallen into a routine of life hiding the truth about herself. Hiding and covering up her story and struggles and her brokenness and her shame. She is living pretending and, and trying to keep a performance of who she wants to be or thinks she should be or who she thinks everybody else wants her to be or would accept her for being. But not being honest about who she really is. She is out there in the middle of the day to avoid the mirrors, right? The mirrors people in the community would probably hold up to expose her. They probably knew she was a woman of many husbands, and she doesn't feel like being exposed to the talk about what's wrong with you, and why can't you keep a man, and, and, and you're probably going to try and get my man. Watch her closely, y'all. And her life of many marriages tells us that, that she has become a master of disguises, put-ons. She had to be. Think about it. Like, just on the surface. And I'm not going to get too deep into it, and I don't want y'all mad at me, but one of two things has happened for her to be married that many times in this world. Okay. She could have cheated on her husband five times. Right? She, she seems to be promiscuous. That seems to be the story they're given, because now she's living with some dude that's not her husband. Or maybe she lied to the next guy that she was not ever married before or or she was not truthful about the details of her marriage. And those details could be that he was a cheater or he was abusive or he was neglectful or he died. But she had to have had told him or acted out in a way that a man thought he was free or could get over easy on this type of woman to marry her. And it turned out it wasn't true. Or, Or she pretended to be someone she was not in some way to please or keep a husband and it failed. Maybe she did it to survive. Y'all don't know. I mean, this is a familiar story in certain worlds, in certain communities, since even today. But back then, women couldn't own land and couldn't have an inheritance without a husband. And maybe she had kids. Have you thought about that? They needed to eat. They needed a place to stay. Many things could be the case, but lost in the midst of all of that relationship changing, let me tell you, she has lived a thousand lives and worn as many masks over the years and has at least six different women with six different men. And you can, you can guess it, each time a new life or a new marriage starts and fails, a new mask goes on and another cover-up. This hiding and covering up thing is compounded because she's not only hiding from the the truth about herself, she is hiding from the world, y'all. Understand how extremely awkward this meeting with Jesus is. As people are reading this story back then, they're like, oh, this is painful. This is like diversity day on the office, right? (laughs) For those of you who watch the office, and Michael's going to get up and explain diversity. Right? You're like, no, anybody except him. He's an idiot. No. But this is awkward. She is a woman. Some strict religious folks back then, guess what, wouldn't even talk to their own wives in public. A Samaritan woman talking to Jesus, a Jew man who who is talking back to her because Jews called and treated Samaritans like and even referred to them as dogs. 
They were half-breeds, y'all. To the Jews, mixed, impure-blooded, not real Jews, which in some ways were worse than being a non-Jew Gentile because you were like a fake Jew. The ones you want to separate ourselves from, like the children or mother of a husband's mistress living in your house, they were the stepchild, just not redheaded, but worse, right? Look at what she says here in verse 9 through 11. She says to Jesus, if I can find a verse, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of water for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's in parentheses. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Ah, this is a funny one. Because she is saying, guess what, Jesus? You don't have a cup to get any water. I got a jar. But because Jews thought Samaritans were unclean, they wouldn't even drink from or eat from anything that this Samaritan owned or used. In other words, as a good Jew, Jesus... I know you would rather probably die out here than drink from my cup. She's playing him a little bit. This was bad between the two groups. And then look at what the disciples say in verse 27. This is so funny to me, right? Just then his disciples came back. They marveled. That means they were beside themselves, y'all. Somebody probably fell to the ground. What? Oh, my God. Jesus, what are you doing? Oh, my God, Jesus. Yes. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? They are not concerned that my man Jesus might be dying of thirst, but that he's talking to a woman. A woman. Jesus, this could be the end of your ministry. <laughs> this could be the end of our team, man. Just get you out of here. You're talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman. Double bad, Jesus. Here is a woman that is not only driven to hide the truth about herself, but because of what we see in these interactions, that they won't even drink water after Samaritan. She's hiding from the world around her. That, that her world does not think she is worth as much as she really is. That the world, she's feeling it, is waiting to, and that's why she's playing this game with Jesus, this cat and mouse game. The world is waiting to pounce on and destroy a woman who is a half-breed, broke-down, old adulteress. The truth is that she lives in and lives to face a denigrating, racist, sexist, driving, and unforgiving world every single day. And she has to live and survive and try to be human and stay emotionally intact somehow in that world. Her struggle of hiding from an oppressive world is something we all struggle with, right? In some form or fashion, we're all avoiding and running from or we just give up and give in to leaving behind, if we can, our deepest sins and deepest issues so we don't get snagged and shamed and condemned and pushed out and rejected and demeaned. So we play the game. We wear the mask. We keep our heads low. And we keep our little broken lives and wounds tucked away. 
Because the truth is this, right? We all know it and fear it. The world is always trying to stick their finger and pour salt in our wounds. Sometimes they do it so they can sell us a Band-Aid, right? Think about marketing. Look, you're not doing great. Buy this, $19.99, right? Let me show you what's wrong with you. Look at y'all. You don't have enough money? There's, I mean, most of us in here, we feel we're not making enough money, right? You need more? You need, what about this one? You want more freedom in your life? Of course I do. Saying, see, you are not worth it. You're not good enough or awesome enough and maybe not man enough or woman enough or, or don't work hard enough. And you know what becomes easiest for most of us? Like this woman, we would rather live lonely and alone at the well with our real selves. We would rather exhaust ourselves like she is doing in the middle of the day, carrying this thing alone, carrying this heavy thing back to avoid our shame, working hard enough, being successful enough, not being found lazy or failing or, or letting down the race or, or letting down the family or, or trying to be a good enough wife or mother or son or daughter. And you are living life alone in your real self. And like this woman coming out in the middle of the day at the most exhausting time, not truly being in community and being known by anyone, just Knowing your place, the place where you are least likely and everyone is least likely to see the true you. And that will reveal your sin and reveal your brokenness. Not just hiding, right, and covering. This is the other side of it because we fake ourselves out. Some of us aggressive type A personalities, right? Battling with the world all the time is covering up too. This woman puts on the armor with Jesus, right? She's teasing him in a sense. Now, you can't see it all right away, but she's teasing him about, hey, you thirsty? Too bad. All we got is a Samaritan glass, right? You gonna die out here, Jesus. Sorry, Mr. Prophet, right? Sorry, our ice ain't as cold as yours. Sorry. Right? Or, and then we see her when, they, when they're battling over our people, our God worships here. And when she talks about, I mean, we worship at this mountain. When she talks about Jacob did this well, we all drank from it, and it was good enough for him. It ain't good enough for you, right? Like, because this is Samaria. She is battling, y'all. This is a cultural fight. This is, hey, we're at this Black Lives rally or something, and, and the lines are there, and people are battling. This is what she is doing, just trying to stay alive. But she has to put the armor on. <laughs> Even armor is a mask, is a cover-up. We don't have to bear your real skin. You have in the game the real you. And those of you, okay, I, I got to take time with this, y'all. So, so please be patient with me because you need to hear this, especially like a, a church like ours and what's going on in our world and in our church. So please hear me today. Those of you especially who find yourselves as social and cultural minorities, you feel me, right? Right away, don't you? There are books upon books upon books, especially on African-American identity issues among men and women of color who've been prejudiced and unjustly treated in this country, who all the time have to wear the mask or the armor. 
In fact, I remember the line. It was a great scene in the movie, Malcolm X, done by Spike Lee. When, when Malcolm X, when, when he goes to prison for stealing before he came to the civil rights leader, Malcolm X, the fictional character in the movie who's in jail with him, Bane, asks him as he is putting chem as Malcolm X, uh, before Malcolm X, is putting chemicals in his black kinky hair to make it wavy and straight. It's a real interesting, he's got it in his hair, right? He's going to get that conk. He's going to get that thing looking nice and straight and not kinky and black. First Jerry curl, y'all. Y'all didn't know that. <laughs> and he asked him this question as the stuff's in his hair. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? And the character Malcolm X is like, fool, I'm Malcolm Little, right? And he says, no, no. Who are you really as you putting that stuff in your hair? And he gets this look on his face like, in all of his hiding and putting on and shucking and jiving and facing racism and avoiding injustice and dealing with his own pain and heartache and sin, he has this look that says, heck if I know. And does it really matter? <laughs> Yesterday I got stopped by the police because I was speeding, okay? Trying to make youth group meetings. I know you're not shaking your head at a, I know, but I know you're not trying to make me feel guilty, Tiffany. I hate to call you out in the middle of a sermon, Leadfoot, Tiffany. You even told me about that smart, that, that fast engine to go fast. But I was trying to make, do God's work, trying to get my son to the youth group. Sorry, if you want to be a part of this church, everyone's up. So if you join and I know something, no. We, 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 we friends. We, we got it. She know, she know I'm just playing around. But um, I wouldn't do that to you if it really was going to crush you. But the, So later when we get stopped, I didn't get the ticket because the guy was like, oh, you're doing, you're doing 70 in a construction zone, a work zone. You know, little sign that says automatically $250 fine, that one? Ain't nobody working. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> this ain't no work zone if ain't nobody working, man. This the fake work zone. This the off-duty work zone. Y'all just too lazy to change the sign. But Clark tells me later, Dad, I had my camera on. Why? Why? Sorry, Clark. Clark says, Dad, I had my camera on. Why? Dad, you just never know. And he asked me later, Dad, were you nervous? I was. Dad, just, just, I'm glad you, you know, acted right, Dad. Did you, what, what, like, don't, don't be afraid. Keep your head down. Keep your hand on the steering wheel, right? And I'm like double in trouble since I have like a concealed weapons license, but I didn't have a concealed weapon. But at the same time, they know that you have one. And so like the license, which means you might have something in your car, and I'm like double scared. Just letting you know from my standpoint, y'all. And it's going to make sense in a minute. This isn't like the TED Talks on social rights. No, this is a sermon. Just hold on. Each of us has our own thing. I want to acknowledge that. So y'all don't think, oh, he's just black, he's telling the black thing. But I'm going to tell you from testimony. I got this hard thought the other day when I started thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and there's all kind of lives matter movements now. 
that as much as you put on the armor of justice to fight a world, to say and let them hear that black lives matter, the armor can never really come off. Because you got to go back to work. <laughs> right? You can be as black as you want to out on lines or holding up the signs or on Facebook when you talk to people, but you got to go back to work. You got to go back in a neighborhood. You got to drive on a road. You might get cut, stopped by a police, right? But the armor can never come off because guess what? And this is so hard. As much as you try to tell and convince folks that our lives matter, you can't actually make them believe that you matter. And this list of people who feel this hiding and running day after day goes on and on. Women, see y'all. You know, the whole Weinstein thing, the whole Bill Cosby thing, the whole sexual harassment thing. Got to keep it, got to keep your head low. Not making, still not paid equal wages as men in the same job, right? Women, children, immigrants, 1.5er, second generation, this and that, mask and armor, and no one does it. The, the cover-up better, then guess what? Don't, don't feel left out the privileged class. I said classes, rather. I say classes because we are all privileged in different ways depending on our context, right? So nobody left out. The reason you are privileged in your circle of society, face it, you simply wear the right mask and have the ability to hide the right stuff in the right way. And get to hear me, hide your mess and your fears or your shame in plain acceptable sight. But like this woman, it's exhausting, y'all. You're going to the well in the middle of the day just to survive. White, black, privileged, poor, man, women, we all go to the well in the middle of the day in exhausting life in some way. Jesus lets her know that he knows that he knows that what? That getting back to scripture, that, that man she is with is not her husband, the sixth one. And what we see is it's the, the seeking to preserve and earn and cover up and hide from shame and gain your own sense of worth. Guess what? It just gets too exhausting sometimes. Look at the, the, the pattern. Five husbands. She's trying her best to be moral, trying to be good maybe, trying to make a life like everybody else. She wants the good American dream or Samaritan dream life. And the sixth time she can't do it. She gave in. And let me put it differently because she's only human, only a human female Samaritan in a society and world of injustice. One, two, three, four, five. And on the sixth time around, there is little or nothing of her personhood or her sense of worth left acting. And then on top of that being treated less than what God has called and created to be, she just went ahead and became just that. She couldn't handle the weight of her sin and the world's oppression with the combined weight of the mask she's put on to bring comfort in her heart, her very sense of core worth somewhere and somehow it collapsed. Where she said to herself, it doesn't matter how hurt and how unjustly I've been treated, it done, I have found myself so wanting, so unworthy of knowing and being what God would have me to be. I will no longer even seek to be a wife for the sixth time. The dignity of even being a wife 
is not for a scoundrel like me. I will just settle for the mask of being someone's plaything with no justice and no rights. Just an insecure relationship, sleeping together, shacking up. Before we get all sad for this woman, shouldn't we weep for ourselves and each other for the ways our lives have collapsed as well? I got to warn you. No one of us knows, not, no one of us knows that when that sixth time is coming, when we will collapse and become an act worthless. When and where we have given up being known and knowing who we really are and connecting with our own sense, with our core sense of worth, it isn't worth it. It doesn't matter. You don't matter. We collapse to being what, you, what, what we have worn out to cope with in our brokenness, right? Some of you have become workaholics and alcoholics and sexaholics and workout and healthaholics, ethnically consciousaholics, Social media aholics, justice fighting, can't take off their armor aholics, and on and on. And many of our lives have entered moral, emotionally, and spiritual collapse and decay. We just went in, let's just, I'll just be a sinner. I'll just live evil. I don't care. We got to ask ourselves, how did we get this low? To be working like this, like a machine, right? I'm just a machine in the wheel of what I do. I'm just living like Iron Man with the suit on, saving the world, but who cares about what's really in, or sleeping around like I am, or acting like this. Because after hiding and covering my sin, and hiding and covering, and performing for and from the world's mess, one day I woke up, and the me who was God's best, I discovered, was gone. And here I am living out the worthlessness, the one who doesn't know who they are before God, life. And I didn't mention on this list, because <laughs> I'm about to get to it. That's our second point here. Many of us have become religious-aholics, like this woman, not only hiding the truth from the truth, but she believes lies about God. Look with me at verse 9 once again. So she tells him, um, we, you don't have no, nothing to drink with. And um, he tells her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. <laughs> so you can't put your hand in it, right? Where, 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 where do you get this, that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Remember, she's playing this game, our father Jacob, right? Um, we the same. Um, Okay, hold on a minute. I got lost there. Oh, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. What's wrong with you, Jesus, and you Jews? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So here's the deal in short. Samaritans and Jews, again, share the same origin, but they have a fork in the family tree when a group of Jews, when Samaria took over, broke the Jewish law and intermarried with foreigners. But they held on to their religion, sort of. They kind of did things differently. They're sort of like a church plant, 
right? It's a split. But it, and, and so they formed another denomination, another religion, and they did things differently. And they violated some Jewish laws in it. And Jesus doesn't let her and the Samaritans think they are better than the Jews. But she uses this religious connection, doesn't she? She uses her, or tries to use her Jewish sub-denomination religion to make herself feel holy. Jacob drank from this well. I'm in this well. I'm not lower than a Jew. I'm good because I'm connected to God. I'm doing something, y'all. Right? She, 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 she tries to be spiritually and religiously worthy to cover her sin. Talking about her stake in Jacob and how is the Samaritan. This is the well. Like they are as important or special Jews as Jews and worthy as Jews. She uses the religion God connection of that well and its history to draw, pun intended, her sense of spiritual worth from it. That well of Jacob is how she holds on to what she believes makes her right and worthy before God as a hated spiritual half-breed, the name and fatherhood of Jacob. And what does Jesus do? Tears that up, right? Tears that apart. He lets her and us know that the well, sense of religious worth and value, and he makes a connection there, like her five husbands, will not make her valuable for real. And just like her, her husband's, her spiritual connection as well, she will end up having a relationship with God that is just like her romantic life. And this well is a never-ending show of religion that will never truly satisfy. You have to keep coming back. But she doesn't give up, does she? She tries the religious thing again on Jesus. What? So Jesus puts out that she, you know, her five husbands shacking up life on God prophetic stereo HD blast, right? And look what she says. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. What? You know all about me, right? Uh, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking, seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and me. By mentioning her worship place, okay, Hang in here with me, please. This is like her saying, in essence, I'm holy, too. I'm spiritual. I I know the Bible, too, y'all. I go to church. I'm okay. I grew up in the church. I get my praise on at least once a week. I have one of those fish things on my car. I put hashtag blessed on my Facebook profile. I do mercy and justice stuff during the week, tutoring programs and all that stuff. I sing in the choir. God and you should see me as worthy because I do religion. I do church. I do spirituality, as some millennials call it. Please accept me. And Jesus like what you Samaritans do to make yourself right before God. It's a nice try. Not that the Jews got it together. But if their religion doesn't necessarily make them spiritually right and truthful before God, no way you can think your raggedy religion makes you better. Now, here it is. Just because it's grassroots and all authentic to the culture 
right? Oh, it's connected to history. Ready? Protestant Reformed history, right? It, it, it makes you feel good and happy about yourself because you have a history of theological correctness, right? Does not make it redeeming and righteous before God making religion. Like her, most of us battle or live with the exhausting and false belief that God only values the worthy. And that can be subconscious, right? We have to prove that we are worthy enough for his attention and value and faithfulness, that our religion is making sense only as we work hard to make it sense, make sense. And sometimes just the way you respond to life is like an involuntary muscle for religion. And, 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 and somehow we, we face the hurt and hell and lies that he, the Lord God, only values those who've got it right, who have it together. Who can get their praise on and have the perfect church? That God only values those who, 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 who know who they are, or since that doesn't matter anyway, get this. God really values and religion really is about putting on the best version of yourself forward at the right time. The church version of yourself, the work version of yourself, the home version of yourself, and before God this you version of yourself, but let me tell you who you believe God really loves and values because you do it. We all do it. We believe God values those who are good enough to shuffle the de deck of masks and performances well enough, right, to not get caught up and snagged and found out or driven crazy or go schizo from suppressing truth and being oppressed by lies. I hope you heard that. I said a lot of words. And I was loud. Let's say it quiet. Conversational preaching. Like her, we are tempted to believe God only wants and values those who maybe who have been hurt and damaged and confused and scared, right? Who can at least act like those things are not true. So like her, we lie to God and about our relationship with God and seek to make him a liar as a God who values and only accepts those who can put on a good religious performance. This is why I believe, we talked about this the other, I don't know with who, why being a believer and part of a real church, I'm not talking about the church you show up to like a movie, and it's a performance, you just show up, you don't have to join and do nothing. I'm not talking about those churches. I question whether that's fully church. I think you might be getting a church message, but I don't know whether you're part of a church if you just ushered in like a performance and it's happening for you instead of happening through you or to you. Okay, let me just clear that up. I think we run there into that kind of church living when we get exhausted. You get tired of being a believer. Jesus said, just say, a living well, right? But we are tired out. You know what we do? We church hop. We go from place to place to place to religious experience to experience because we're tired of what? Not God, not the gospel, not commitment to our community. We're tired because we're performing, y'all. 
Because like she believes and has been believing all along the lie, God only looks at and loves those who are beautiful enough to look at. When Jesus tells her this in verse 14, let's look at it together. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now he's contrasting, y'all, the cycle of cover-up and faking and false religion and lies about herself and God to convince her of something that isn't true. Right? The religion, religious and personal cover-up and mask-wearing is like that well, right? It will run out, and you always have to come back to it empty and alone and unknown and unvalued over and over again, like her marriages, like her relationships, like her religious ways that just can't be enough until the Messiah comes. And she only has, a, and all she has is a dirty vessel like that jar to get her fulfillment. When Jesus says he gives a spring of eternal water, he is saying, I will be refreshment and cleansing and get this makeup and mask-removing power and pretending, removing the pretending in your life that comes inside of you, that God through me, Jesus, will actually come to live in your heart. No longer in one of these religious places and temples, but in you. Now understand what this means. God is promising to knowingly, hear me now, and intentionally come to live inside of someone who is too shamed and too broken to own up to their own sin. What? God likes the ghetto soul? Yes. He don't want the gentrified soul. He don't want the redone whole house soul. He ain't into the HDTV soul. He's saying he is promising to make his home inside of people who have collapsed who don't have great foundations under the weight of the world's oppression and their sin. God is promising to take up residence in a condemned space by coming into her life. A person who is underappreciated and depreciated by themselves and others who have fallen and have collapsed under years of, guess what, bad makeovers and spiritual makeups and so many churches and religions and experiences and rededications and church hopping and failed do-over and really bad plastic surgery of their images who are exhausting and sagging and brittle and broken from running away from and bearing the weight of all their sin. The not so beautiful is where Jesus wants to come and live and put his very best in. And look at what happens in verse 28 and 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I don't know y'all how all this connects. I tried, but it took me a few pages. I couldn't do it. Maybe before I write a book or something. But there is something miraculous about the Lord or someone sent by the Lord, the Lord's ministry, knowing you and seeing you with a value that changes everything. Something about the Lord knowing you and seeing you. The Bible says he seeks out worshipers, right? He ain't looking for the ones who are ready to roll. That something about him seeing you that breaks the cycles and chains of shame that makes it okay to take the mask off and stop performing. 
Because God sees me and he knows me. And guess what? He still gives me the gift of his love and grace. I can live and worship with new spirit and like Jesus says in truth because he knows all the bad and not so good and not good enough. And he is so good. He declares me good enough for his greatest for me. The Bible shows us what true repentance, belief, and freedom looks like. Do you see it? She, the one who hid in her brokenness and shame, faces her world. She goes back to the community she's running from, the ones who would condemn her. She, she can't be condemned now. She uncovers and unmasks herself before the world. It is not fearful of this righteous Jew. How could she take off her mask and her shame and begin to value herself and, and others? When she spoke with Jesus and God telling her that he knew who she was, she experienced something that she had never seen in herself or anyone else. No, not unlike what she thought the Messiah would come to do, right? She thought he would come to show us a new dance. That's what y'all think church is. Pastor, show me the new dance to make God love me. Pastor, what's the new mask I can put on, you know, to to be acceptable? I want to be on the in crowd, right? I want to check the box, right? You know, it's Sunday. I got to go to church, right? She thought that the Messiah was just going to give a new exhausting way to be worthy enough. That he came to show us God, right? But this is what she needed to realize. I'm sorry. He came to show us God, not show us the way to God. Do you see the difference? but to have God see her with love and grace and for her to see the love and grace of God for her. That's what he came to do. You know, it's Halloween season. Closing up on this. Pastor Brown, how much longer? I'm almost done. It's Halloween season. Most of those masks the kids wear, man, when we grew up, remember the mask and them big boxes, y'all, with the little, the, the clear film on top and you could see the mask. Remember them things? I love those things. I told y'all a story. It's so funny. Back then, they didn't have the black mask. <laughs> so if you wanted to be the $6 million man, the bionic man, y'all don't know about that. Here's a little black boy walking around with a white mask on. I'm telling you, it was so insensitive. <laughs> you can go as a goblin or some kind of animal, but you can't go as a person unless you had a white face person, right? We didn't have black face. We got white face, right? should have been offended, offensive to the other crew, but it kind of offends with us. It's weird how that works. That has nothing to do with the story, sort of. But kids, my kids, we go out, and you see kids walking around. What do you see? They wear these masks, and it blinds them, y'all. But they want to look like the part. They can't see nothing. Just walking through the streets, it's dark. They can't see. There's no peripheral vision. Can't look to the right and left. Some kids trying so hard, the things are crooked. They can't see anything. You have to take their hands and watch them. As soon as they sense some candy, they don't even have to see the house. All they have to hear is, man, they got a lot of candy, and they just go shooting off. Can't see nothing tripping up. Because they have to stay in character. They have to stay as the accepted trick or treater to get the payoff. They got to get the candy. 
They have to keep that debilitating mask on. And the only way when we get home to see their treat and eat that treat is for them to take that sweaty, exhausting, and stink, spitty up, bulky mask off. See, for the river eternal life, to be better enjoyed by her for the gift of God through Jesus to free her, God through Jesus, by his grace, by the grace of his word, himself took her mask off and let her know that he saw her for who she really was. Guys, this is like lifting the veil on a bride on wedding day. But instead of running away or hiding and shaming or abandoning her like her five husbands the community had, or turning from her in horror of how bad her life was, or how messed up spiritually and sinful she was. You know what he did? He took his mask off and revealed God himself in Jesus Christ for her to see it. No one had ever done anything like that ever before in her life. No one had ever valued her enough to bear their uncovered, fixed gaze upon her real self with uncovered self, I mean, with uncovered interest, concern, and love. It was the most intimate, life-changing thing anyone could ever experience. And for the first time, with her mask off, she looked and was able to see the face of pure love. And pure acceptance. And pure grace. She no longer saw God behind the cloudy and confusing, badly cut eye holes of her mask. She could see his love for her just by the way he looked at her. And how he gave his well of grace. His treat. The gospel says this, and this is Jesus unmasking us. We are sinners, and he knows we are sinners. And he is a savior and lover and gift givers to sinners. Take off your mask. God has unmasked his intentions completely for you and me. And guess what? They are good. They are good for ugly folk whose life don't have it together. They are good for people who've been pretending all of life. You can stop pretending Christianity. Give up this exhausting run, y'all. I'm trying. I do it. I'm exhausted all the time trying to be what I think I should be and what you want me to be and what this person wants me to be. And it happens when we show up in community. There's those who are freed by the gospel. Hear the words of Christ again. You might be sinners, but I seek and see you, and you need to see me seeing you with value and worth and grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we tired. So exhausting. Even in this church space, man, the church right now is crazy. All this race and ethnicity and gender and all kind of stuff going on. Lord, it's hard to be in church. 
Lord, in the midst of all the issues, all the oppression, all the shame, all the mess going on in our world and the politics and all the stuff, even as we look in our mask, <laughs> let us see you with your mask off. That God's love has been revealed to us so that we can take off ours. Free us to take off our mask and trust you for your grace. Lord, I pray for those today who are on the sixth time around. Their lives have collapsed. They found themselves in relationships they shouldn't be in. They find themselves in besetting sins they shouldn't be in. Lord, many and most of us are machines. We don't even stop for our own oil change, Lord. We just keep going till we burn out. Some of us are burned out. Some of us who are social, right, Lord, and minorities or cultural minorities, Lord, it's just so hard. You get home and you're tired just from pretending. Some of us get home and that's when the pretending starts, pretending to be the wife and the husband and the dad and the father and the kids that everybody wants. Help us, Lord, to exchange our lie for the truth of your grace. This we pray in Jesus' name.